Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the digital sales leadership and coaching platform that's transforming market-leading sales organizations around the world. Be sure to meet with the Exvoyant team at Dreamforce and learn how to transform your Salesforce system from the system of record to your system of action and improvement. You can find details at exvoyant.com. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today we are joined by Jake Hugely, Managing Director of Fee Income Strategies for Zions Bank Corporation. Zions Bancor is a $66 billion financial institution comprised of eight banks in the Western United States, and it's one of the largest, highest-performing financial institutions in the country. Jake is the Executive Director deriving fee income for the Bancor across all affiliate banks. Now, not only does he drive the most strategic sources of revenue for the corporation, he's done it with amazing success. His teams have experienced double-digit growth in revenue and have achieved more than 15 products per commercial client, twice the industry average. Jake, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here, Rob. Thank you. Jake, I'm super stoked to have you on. I think that your story is not only a head-turner for what's happening in the financial institution world, but it's a head-turner on what happens in sales. You, you've been featured a lot of, of, of uh, conferences and, and showcased for the, the things you've done. I'm super excited to dive into what you're doing at Zions right now. Now, can you start by just introducing uh, to our listeners, who's Zions Bancor and what are you doing over there? Yeah, Zions Bank Corporation, you know, we're, we're headquartered out of Salt Lake City, Utah. We're a $65 billion organization. Uh, we've got uh, different brands uh, that are geographically located in the western states. So here in Utah, where I'm located, we'd be a Zions Bank. Uh, in Texas, we're Amogee Bank. In California, we're California Bank and Trust and so forth. So we've got different unique brands. Uh, we're a great premier regional bank that's focused on kind of that small to medium-sized business customer. And we've had this a fabulous go for the last 140 plus years uh, here in the in these markets. That's uh, it is. It's a huge success story. A lot of people don't know uh, when you start sharing those regional brands. I'm glad you did that because we have listeners you know, all around the country and. And Zion certainly is one of those uh, super regionals that has a lot of people's attention right now. Can you share a little bit? I mean, since you've been there driving fee income, you you help all of these affiliate banks drive this most strategic part of revenue. We're a revenue show. We talk to sales leaders. Can you talk a little bit about just some of the things you've been doing as you've been helping write this success story that's been so wildly successful at Zion's? Yeah, yeah, I will. The first thing to understand is that so in driving the revenue, we've got a bunch of different product groups. So treasury management and bank card and trust services, et cetera. So there's a lot of different products with it, with different kind of sales processes, et cetera. The cool thing is that we've rolled out that I think is very unique to our world is we don't have uh, prodigals, Rob. We're not trying to push a prodigal onto our sales teams and saying, you've got to sell this many widgets. We've really kind of changed the focus and have been very disciplined around team selling and creating just amazing partnerships between 
you know, as an example, the treasury management space uh, and our commercial banking partners. And that team selling is very different than what we see in uh, other organizations that are out there. Because if you think about in banking, it's easy to feel uh, isolated in a department. It's easy to feel the pressure of the revenue goals in one group and just kind of go out there and try to pitch your product to a customer. That's not what we've tried to do. We've tried to focus on selling as a team because we're getting away from the bankers feeling like they own the client to recognizing that the bank owns the client and we should be offering all of the solutions that really help them. So it's been a fun uh, change. That's kind of what's been unique recently that we've been focused on a lot. So I'm glad you pointed that out. And for people that aren't in banking, that, that don't speak bank yet, bank is a different language. Um, it's important that we point out that all of these divisions that you're talking about, they're basically product specialists. And That's right. For, and for, you know, non-financial institutions, these are product specialists that own uh, revenue and have target, you know, growth things, growth goals are trying to hit. And generally you'll find these product specialists out there trying to do their thing and sometimes they work together, but it's not the norm. People like to talk about it, but you figured out how to crack that code, haven't you? Uh, we, I think we have. Um, because if you look out there right now, and if you talk to other institutions, I've got a lot of friends that are in the industry. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't even understand not only the revenue, but even what some of the other product groups do in the bank. And what's been fun in doing a comparison and really looking at the value that we're bringing to clients is we're, we're teaching our teams really the entire product set to offering the breadth of the services when we go out and visit with our customers. It's been a, a great change for our company. All right. So, so you, you, you've had double the success in revenue and in products per commercial customer than your industry norm. How do you do it, man? I mean, so as you look back and say, okay, this has been a fun run. We're doing cool things. What stands out to you if you're laying down a blueprint for how do I have revenue success beat the market? And maybe more important, how do I have these products beat the market without having product goals? What's the catalyst for that? Well, the number one thing is what you just said. Don't have product goals. You know, you um, if you have product goals and you put an incentive around a product goal, that's what you're going to get. You're going to have people that go out and have product conversations with your clients, and that experience for the customer is going to feel um, you know, not what they're comfortable with or what they want. We want an experience for our clients. And, you know, something that we talk about, Rob, is we, we tell our team, don't mistake activity with achievement. Just because you've gone out there and sold a widget to your client doesn't mean that you've achieved the financial um, success that that company was really needing or looking for. So the catalyst for us, what we've been uh, focused on is relationship planning. This relationship planning focus with our partners, we sit down as a team, we talk about each area and the, you know, the relationship that we have, what are we trying to accomplish, and more importantly, what are the questions that we can have with our clients that can help them uh, uncover really some of the benefits or some of the challenges that they need to overcome with some of the solutions that we offer. We're, we're not trying to pitch a product, we're pitching a solution to these clients. It's a very different focus. So, Jake, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show, um, apart from the fact that you've just, you've really turned an industry kind of on its ear on how you've done some things. When people hear what you just said, there might be some people say, man, that sounds like a lot of work and that sounds like a lot of 
you know, uh, micromanagement and bureaucracy. I just don't have time for that. We're, we're a fast growth company. We can't do that. Or, or I just don't want to go through that bureaucracy. That's not what happened. You've shared your story as we prepare, prepared for this. How did you do what you just described in, in creating experiences around planning for a relationship? But I actually think that when you did it, you simplified the process. We, 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 we focused really on number one, we, we focused on the relationship, okay? And we tried to make this a very simple approach in, in how we created the relationship review as an example for the customer. We, we took away all of the noise that was involved with uh, each of the groups trying to create um, material that they would take out to the client. We simplified that through uh, you know technology and automating it so that when we sat down as a team, the lion's share of that legwork that we're taking hours to prepare for calls, maybe for a product-specific focus, now was taking a few minutes, and it was the entire breadth of the relationship with the tools that we were giving to them. This was, uh, you know, you, you said it was, we simplified it. We made it very simple for the team, the, the team to actually have the information to have a better conversation with the client than they've ever had before. Yeah, and what I love is you boiled it down to, like, basically six things that a CFO has to do. And this is what really got my attention to go from we have all these product specialists and there's, you know, 100 possible things that we could do. You boiled it down to saying we got six things that we that we know you have to do by virtue of being in business. And you boiled it down to that. Can you share a little bit of time talking about this whole kind of six questions, six bucket kind of approach, because I'm fascinated with it. I think it's genius. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad we're, we're moving to this part because I believe sales pitches, Rob, are forgotten instantly and experiences make you memorable. And our six bucket approach, our conversations that we have with the client, if you think about it, what we did is we sat down, we spoke to customers. We wanted to understand from them, just by nature of being in business, what are the areas of focus that they needed to solve? Rather than, rather than us going out and having a specific product conversation in one, one of the categories, what we uncovered is that there are six main areas by nature of being in business that each of our clients um, were dealing with. We created a sales process around that, a series of being able to ask questions for those customers. It absolutely was a game changer for us because rather than going out focusing on the one, one product, we started in the first category, the first question. We asked a series of questions and created an experience where clients were starting to say things like, you know, I'd never heard that question before, or that was a great question. Nobody's asked me about that before. And we got them to really start to think about their business differently than just somebody who was out there trying to sell them a product. That success is what, you know, was the catalyst to that 15 products per commercial relationship because it wasn't out there trying to do one-off. We went from selling, you know, one to two products on average, Rob, when we'd go out on a call to where we were, uh, you know, you know, signing up clients with seven to, to 12 services on a call. And it's because they started to really understand the value across the board in all of the different categories. How hard was it? I mean, it's interesting. I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who's listening to the show right now, and I hope that we're getting their attention. You actually took the time as you built this to say, what are the problems? You, you defined yourself by the problems you helped someone solve, not by the 100-plus products the bank could potentially offer. How hard was that to do? How much? How did you do that? 
great, great question. So, you know, when we initially, if you, if you think right at the beginning, we started to figure out that, or tried to figure out that very problem is how do we fix this process? If we knew that the client had six areas that we were trying to provide better solutions for and create an experience with our questions there, we knew that we had to switch from product training to problem training. Say that again. That's, that's, that's amazing. I've never heard that before. You, yeah, that's a really different thing. You're still training, yeah. but you're not training on the product. You're training on the what? We're training on the problem. So think about it. We didn't go out to our teams that are geographically dispersed, right? We didn't go out there and try to teach them the products in depth so that they could go out and show up and throw up to a client anymore. That's not what we wanted. We went out and started to teach them the problems that clients were facing day in and day out. Part of our training is we brought in clients in a panel discussion. We had them explain the daily challenges that they were facing and started to get our employees to think in terms of problems and what questions to ask versus exclamation points and comments that they were trying to say to the client. Mm. Now, was that a big shift? I mean, was that uh, like a, was that like a quantum leap for these bankers to make that shift? What was that? (laughs) Yeah, man, you know, Zions had a legacy sales organization. You had a lot of people that were very comfortable uh, doing what they had been doing in the past. I think the real success in, in where we started to see this migration or this transformation take place is when we started to see the results that were happening. Clients were more engaged with us. Our satisfaction scores went up. And that momentum changed the behavior of even the most senior salespeople that were kind of stuck in their ways. And at the beginning, Rob, you know, when we rolled out the relationship review the relationship planning, we uh, part of uh, you know the questioning that we did with clients is we showed a, a scorecard with the customer, right? And then they were allowed to kind of score us back. And it was funny at the very beginning, the, the RMs were nervous about being exposed to the client, but everything started to change with the six buckets and how we had conversations around their relationship plan when the success of the model and our clients became more happy and more satisfied with how we were talking to them. So I want to push pause for a second because we're at a really cool place for this problem training. And I want to dive into this, but I'm going to go backwards for a second so we can go forwards. You shared with me, and I kind of took you away from it before uh, when I asked a different question. I want to go back now. You had a customer experience that you shared with me that I think our listeners will really like. That you had a customer that said, hey, how come I'm hearing about some of the things you can do? And that's what prompted you to have this. You had this customer experience that I want you to share that prompted you to say, I need to make sure that from now on, every time we talk to a customer, we have a, a standardized way of making sure that we address all six of those areas. Can you share that story? Yeah, and I, I think what's funny about this story is it should resonate it with anybody in banking, non-banking. This is a sales story that resonates with everybody. I had a, a team member who was in a, a northern market of ours who called me up and said, I've got this fabulous relationship. I knew that this client had been with the bank for many, many years. They were, you know, we, for all intents and purposes, we thought we're very happy with the bank. I get a call from the relationship manager, Rob, and you could sense this uh, fear in his voice. And he says, Jake, would you mind coming up here? Uh, my client has just notified me that they're leaving the bank. I was shocked. I'm like, what are you talking about? They've been with us forever. He said, would you mind coming up here? I went there, sat down with the client. 
started to engage them and asking them questions, what's going on. The client said something that I think would resonate with anybody on the phone here or on this uh, podcast. The client said something that I've never forgotten. It changed kind of this um, the thought process on how we changed our approach. The client said, I'm tired of hearing from your competitors what your bank offers. Let me repeat that again because (laughs) it was powerful. And when the client said it to me, it, it knocked me back into my chair. The client said, I'm tired of hearing from your competitors what you have to offer. What was happening is our competitors were coming in and having product conversations in some of the products that our RMs or our, our teams weren't having with our client at the time. We weren't team selling. We weren't offering the breadth of the services that we had to offer. That's what changed this. That's what got us started to go, wait a second. We can't have our competition coming in and cherry picking away big relationships because what the client asked for we had in our quiver of solutions for them, and we had a better offering. And the clients still left because they were offended that the relationship manager didn't take care of them like they should have. So that 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 experience had you go back and say, this is not happening again. And that led you saying, okay, we're going to get really good at making sure that we understand all the problems and we're going to match all the products we have to those problems and you were able to turn that into a, a something that you could institutionalize across the whole organization. That's exactly what we did. That's exactly and, what we did. And you were able, and as a result, you have it go to 15 plus products per commercial organization because you're doing between two and three products per problem that you're solving. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. And and let me tell you, this this solution, Rob of being and having these conversations with with um, these clients in a different way than they've ever experienced before. You know, I'm, I'm a guy that eats my own dog food. It's just, I don't just uh, ask my team to do it. You know, I'll go out and do it myself. I want to share one additional story that I think would be fun for the for the listeners here. Yeah. Um, I knew that the, this experience was so unique, the way that we engaged our clients, that we wanted to call on a Fortune 100 company. I, I called on this client, okay? And the, the lady who answered the phone, we, we made niceties. I, I had her contact from a, another associate. But when I spoke to her, she said something that was really, really funny at the beginning. She said, you guys are a pissant small bank, and I'm not interested. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you can imagine. Uh, How you do know, you really like, feel, right? How do you really yeah, feel? Exactly. It's like David and Goliath. It's like calling on these huge prospects, these opportunities. But I knew that we would turn our head if we could get an opportunity to, to visit with her. So number one thing I said to her is I said, listen, I appreciate your sentiment and uh, I certainly from your position would uh, understand why you wouldn't want to meet with us. But if you'll give me an hour, I said, just do me one favor. Will you have the competitor, the incumbent bank in the room when we come? Someone that, that they thought was not a pissant bank, I'm guessing? Uh, yes, somebody who was a very large uh, bank. And she said, why would you do that? And I said, because I want you to see the difference between us and them uh, side by side in the room together. And then I want you to make a decision on, do you want to bank with them or do you want to bank with us? It changed everything. Her tone changed and she invited us uh, to come out there. That's when we used this approach, the six bucket or the six conversation approach. And when our competitor was in the room, 
talking about a product and trying to just solve one area and didn't address everything else, we won that relationship over and it's a Fortune 100 clients. They've been with us for a long time. So this is this is super cool. And so right now I'm hoping that we have cus- we have uh, listeners that are right now saying, okay, so I like this idea because the you know there's a couple of ways that you can increase sales. The fastest way to increase sales is obviously increase price, but you know that's sometimes easy to say hard to do. The next fastest way to increase sales is to sell more products to the customers that you target. But again, easy to say, hard to do. If you were to make a blueprint for our customers on how you built team selling and this relationship approach, which I, I think are foundation to what you did, what's some blueprint that you would give to our listeners who are saying, I like this idea, I want to try this? Number one, start with the client in mind. Sit down and talk to your customers. Understand from them um, what are the, the common problems that they're trying to solve and, and their buying behavior and understand, um, you know, those customers and the needs that they have, I start with the customer first, then I go to the partners and understanding what each of the groups needed. We created a blueprint around that process and identifying a sales process that was specific to our customer base. So anyone else, you have a sales process, you have a series of questions just by nature of being in business that your clients have, identify what those are and then start to have problem training around those um, quite around the, those processes and start to teach your team the right questions to ask uh, in order to prescribe a solution versus just trying to do product training only is the uh, is the pro- does it does having this approach change how you coached your team as well did it change does it change how your managers interact with the bankers in their one-on-ones that they have on a regular basis uh, very much, you know. Well, first of all, I think our coaching has turned from uh, this micromanagement style, this gotcha, you know. Before, you know, I can remember when we'd stack rank everybody, and it was this binary kind of uh, coaching mentality. It was, are you hitting your goal or are you not? And they were using it as a gotcha moment to say you haven't hit your goal. And when we changed this approach, the sales uh, process, our coaching conversations became much more relevant, uh, Rob, to the individual. Because we could start to see uh, in the six buckets, as an example, if there were three buckets that we were not having a great penetration of products with one uh, employee, we could have conversations to see if it was a skill deficiency, if there was a willingness um, to try to improve and our conversations changed overnight from a, did you hit your goal or not to a relevant conversation that was meaningful to that employee to help them level up? Because I've, I've heard you and other people say this all the time. I've never met a, a salesperson that woke up in the morning and said, I want to suck today. <laughs> and uh, you know, they, they want to improve. Yeah. So motivation, our, our jobs to help them. <clears throat> that that's, I agree with that. Motivation is rarely, we need more motivation, uh, especially in a complex sales environment. I don't, I don't think most people understand just how complex that commercial banking where you're selling to these these CFOs really is. Uh, you're solving some pretty complex challenges in pretty innovative ways. And it's not motivation. It's usually can you teach them how. So I, I love that, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you shared some killer stories with us that I really appreciate you being willing to share. And you, you dropped a word that I wasn't planning on really going on, 
but you, you did it. So I, I like this and, and you've talked about it a little bit. You talked about how people in the past might have had some micromanagement as you guys are chasing goals. How do you, how do you engage teammates and, and help them stimulate that growth without them being micromanaged? I mean, that's really interesting because I've, we have all heard this. Sometimes salespeople and sales leaders are like, you know, if I'm hitting my number or they're hitting their number, I leave them alone. Well, what's your thoughts around coaching? As you've built this high performing team and you're working with these organizations, and I'm sorry I'm rambling here. Any thoughts that you could share with these other leaders that are listening to the show on how do you become a leader that, that encourages and pushes without people feeling micromanaged? You know, we, we have a tagline, Rob. We say, teach, don't preach, show, don't tell. And it's something that we really believe in. And I think it starts at the top. Um, I can't ask my people to drive revenue and to do things that I myself am not able to show them how and to, and to teach them how um, to do that. And I think it starts at the top, A, for my capabilities and skill set or whatnot, but number two on that coaching cadence. How I coach the coaches, as an example, should be a reflection of how my coaches teach and coach and work with their teams. And I don't use um, gotcha moments with my team. They certainly know what the numbers are. They can look in the rearview mirror. But I'm, I'm trying to focus on the windshield. I'm trying to focus on what's in the future and helping them identify um, what are the areas that we can set weekly and some cases their monthly coaching goals that allow them to improve. And that's what we've really, you know, that, that's the change that we've made. And it started at the top. It went to the next level. And the one key that I'll tell you is if you, you know, it goes back to the, the old adage of inspect what you expect. And, you know, I've spent a lot of times working with my sales coaches with their teams and watching how they coach and making sure that it's, uh, they're having good and relevant, meaningful conversations. And it's not just, uh, hey, you're not performing and you got to do more. You know, it's, it's showing them how. Love it. This has been a killer conversation, Jake. I really appreciate you laying out this blueprint uh, that's led to so much success. As you look back and you, and you think about what you've done and, and, you know, and I know you just said you like to look forward instead of back, so I'm going to force you to look back for a minute. What's the biggest challenge you faced as this high-growth sales leader, you know, and, and how did you attack it? Well, it's, um, I, I'd say the number one um, item on our list is uh, the talent war. You know, with uh, unemployment the way it's at, with uh, being in an industry that has many, many, many competitors for us, and trying to uh, retain and, att- and attract new talent has, has been a really big problem. But we've, we've attacked it by having, um, I believe, um, a process that helps our team have better and more meaningful conversations with their clients. We're showing them how to be successful at their job. We're having coaching conversations that are relevant to the individual and helping them improve. And that's not just being done, you know, the the lower performer or the mid-core. We're having meaningful conversations with our stars because I can get a lift out of my stars, Rob, and, you know, a small increase with them is way more meaningful than a, you know, a medium-sized lift for my lower performers. And so we're making sure that our stars are feeling Um, empowered, that they're informed, and that we're helping them try to achieve success in what they do every single day. But that talent war is a problem, and uh, attracting and maintaining good talent, I think it's 
um, it's something that we've really focused hard on. That's a, that's, that's a great one to share because I think it, it affects every kind of sales work that's out there. And I love your approach. It, it, it stimulates another, another question that maybe I hadn't thought about that I want to ask you real fast before we finish this interview. So you've shared that this approach with team selling and relationship planning has not only helped you be better coaches and it's not only led to more revenue and more products. Um, I got a follow up and I'm sorry if I'm catching off guard, but we're going to go there. What has it done first to how you retain? Has it first done anything to how you retain that talent at you get them? Has that made it easier to have people be more engaged and enthused about where they're going with, with this approach? And second, what has it done for the relationships? You told me you get more business from them, but what has it done to the actual relationships with the customers? So it's two parts. Yeah, yeah no, actually, uh, it, it didn't catch me off guard. I'm actually glad you brought that up. First of all, uh, we, we measure our engagement. We actually have some surveys and, you know, and whatnot, and our engagement continues to go up. But the real reflection of engagement is you have people leaving. You have people walking out the door and finding other opportunities where our people are solicited all the time. And we have a very, very low turnover right now. That is, uh, I believe, because of what the things that I have mentioned, we've created a really great environment and a culture where people want to come to work. I hear from teams, all, or, you know, team members all the time. I love coming into work every day. I mean, think about it in banking. Who wakes up and says they, they, they're excited to come to, to work in a bank every morning? But our team is. And our team's excited because they're seeing success. That success, though, let's talk about the clients. Our engagement scores and satisfaction scores with our clients, like I mentioned, are off the charts right now. You have consistency. You have people that aren't uh, moving and transitioning from one portfolio to the next. You've got that continuity because people are happy. They're offering great solutions, and they're sticking around. You know, one of the most frustrating things to a commercial client these days is when they get a new RM and they get a new RM, then they get a new RM. They're trying to create that continuity as well. They want somebody that they can trust. Well, because our teams are happy and the salespeople are motivated and seeing success, those clients are benefiting from that continuity with the customers. And, you know, it's a win-win across the board, Rob. That's, that I think is the, the happy ending that every sales leader wants. Uh, double the revenue, double the products, uh, happier customers, and reps that are excited to come into work in the morning. I, I don't think that we could finish this any better than that. Tip of the cap to you guys, what you've done at Zions. And, uh, it's, it's been fun to watch you engineer such a, a big success. And, and I congratulate you not for just doing that, but for the impact you've made to, to an industry overall. Uh, thank you, Rob. Um, I'm going to finish this episode the way I finish everyone, Jake. Um, we ask every leader the same question. One of the things that I found is most high growth leaders are consumed with what's next. They are, they're focused on development. They're focused on growth. And one of the ways that a lot of people do that is through reading. What are you reading? What would you recommend as required reading for anybody who wants to be a high growth leader? Well, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to take a different approach in this. I've, I've got a lot of books. And then look, you're, you're the team there. The interviewees will have some really great books that I've heard that I, I know are just outstanding. I'm going to take a different approach. There's a book that I, uh, I've read recently. It's called The Power of Being Yourself. It's from a gentleman named Joe Plumeri, who happens to be a really good friend of mine. He was a former executive at Citibank. Uh, it was on the New York Times bestseller. It's a different approach because it's uh, there's a chapter in this book about his son, Chris, 
And it's, uh, Rob, it's about let sadness teach you. And not to be a downer, but what, what was interesting is Chris, his son, passed away. And Joe felt this enormous guilt because he was in a high growth, high sales. He was super, super successful, but he lost focus on family. And um, his son passed away, and he felt this guilt over time. And he put in this chapter, Let Sadness Teach You, and it talks about creating the appropriate work-life balance. I think if you are happy at home, you're happy with your family, speaking of myself, when I'm happy and things are going great with my children, I'm a more successful sales leader. I'm a happier leader and that is driving success because I don't have the worries at home. So it's a it's a, a fabulous book. It's he's got other cha- or other chapters in there that are really really good about the power of being yourself. But that one chapter resonated with me, Rob, about making sure I create a good work life balance because that will help me be a better sales leader tomorrow. I love it. I I, uh, I think that's a great uh, add to our library. We'll get that on the website right away. Um. Jake, this has been fantastic. As always, the time goes by so freaking fast. It's, it's just, <laughs> I could talk to guys like you and, and share your stories for hours, but, but we are out of time. You're pretty active on social. You've been sharing some great stuff lately. How, how do our listeners get more of you? How do they find you? How do they follow you? How do they learn more about you and Zions? Yeah, please just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm under Jacob, J-A-C-O-B, uh, hugely, H-E-U-G-L-Y. Follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I share a lot of material on leadership um, and stuff on the industry, things in banking that are applicable that I think are, are really relevant. But more in general, there's a lot of sales material out there that we push out, Rob. So if they want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I would uh, I would welcome that. Jake Hugely, Executive Director at Zions Bancor, running the strategic source of fee income. He has learned that problems are always greater than products. And if you understand the problems the right way, not only do the products follow, uh, not only does the revenue follow, but the relationships with your reps and the customers stay forever. Jake, thanks so much for joining us, and happy selling. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did this conversation even matter? And I hope you love Jake. Jake has done a remarkable job in an industry that's responding really well to process and technology. Most people don't realize just how complex of a B2B sales motion commercial banking is. And Jake is working with a lot of bankers and a lot of salespeople saying, how do we engage our market differently and continue to take more than the market gives us? And I want to go to what Jake said their kind of tagline and their mantra is. He says, teach, don't preach, show, don't tell. And this is the perspective he has every leader on his team adopt. Every leader on his team. That's what they need to say is their kind of personal guiding principle. So it made me think, what does it mean to teach? And what are the things we need to show? And I came up with four things. Four things we need to teach and show. The first one is process. We've got to teach process and we've got to be able to show how process drives outcomes. If you think about what happened with Jake, they got double the industry average in products per relationship, and they've done it with no product goals. Um, having no product goals, he said, was critical because it made it so they didn't think about the product. They talk about the problem. We'll talk about that in a second. But what but I thought was most interesting about this one is it took Jake losing a key customer for him to realize just how important having process across the board was. I have a personal belief that if process is strong, success is inevitable. If process is weak, success is unsustainable. And Almost always, you can say, with process, performance always improves. 
And so I love that what Jake did was say, let's look at process in terms of what are the problems that every single business owner or CFO has to solve by virtue of being in business. Six financial challenges that they're prepared to discuss in depth. I love that because it takes me to number two, where they can now say experiences make you legendary. If process drives outcomes, number two, experiences make you legendary. We've got to teach the importance of being legendary through experience and show how to create those experiences. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me is when Jake said, you know you're having killer experiences when the customer says, you're asking me questions no one's ever asked me. That means you're doing well because what you pitch gets forgotten the minute you leave, but what you make them feel and what you make them think and, and how you uh, make them like challenge things, that's what stays with them forever. So I think that you could really see with Jake that having this right process drove confidence in a killer way. Um, I love the story of how he was chasing the Fortune 100 customer, and he said, hey, do me a favor. Since you think I'm a pissant bank, have your awesome bank in the room and we have this meeting. And she's like, are you serious? And he said, yeah. So he used that to create an experience that he knew that other banker would never be able to do. He knew he'd be able to have a conversation through his process that the other banker was not prepared to have. And he, st he took that customer with the customer standing there watching and it's still one of Jake's, uh, one of Zion's biggest customers to date. And, and I love that because it creates this different confidence. And if you want to make sure that your salespeople can engage the market with swagger and can engage the market with confidence, not because they're a know-it-all and not because their product's better, but because I can make you think about things that maybe you won't have otherwise thought of and I can create a, an experience that's going to be tough for someone to copy, that's the secret for beating the market. And when I say David beating Goliath, I'm not even talking about beating your competitor. Let's just say we're the Davids in our marketplace and the whole market is Goliath and we want to take what the market gives us and then some. And then some is always my favorite three words. That takes us to number three. Problem training is greater than product training. We should not be surprised that our reps are too product focused. It's because most of our training is about the product. We've had some great leaders come on here and talk about problems and questions and I hope you listen to them all. Jake's taking it up another level where he literally calls it problem training. Uh, I love that because people are the world's greatest reflectors. If we're reflecting product, then our reps are going to reflect product to our customers. We need to be reflecting problems, and then our reps will reflect problems to the customers. I, I really believe that solving problems better or different than others do is the easiest way to become legendary. So if you want your team to go to market different, make sure you engage the, engage the client different. And if you move past the features and the price and move into the problems and the future what you'll find is you now can start talking about the impact, the financial impact of actually solving those problems. And that's what will differentiate you faster than anything else, which takes me to number four. Coaching is different than managing. Jake said that this process and this focus on experiences and problems changed their coaching overnight. They moved away from did you hit your goal and gotcha moments. And now they're having conversations like, okay, well, we're, we're, we're solving two of the six problems for this existing customer, how do we get two more problems? Or we're chasing this important customer that we want to win. Uh, what's our process going to be on identifying which of the six problems are going to be most meaningful? And they're able to prepare a coach in a way that makes it so they can engage and connect to customers very, very quickly. And I really believe that nobody wants to be managed. Nobody wakes up saying, oh, I hope I get managed today. But I think people wake up saying, I want to win and I want teammates to help me do it. 
And as a leader, if we can have the impact where people are better off because we work with them, then we're winning. And if you can't answer the question, here's why every rep on my team is better because I work with them, you should ask yourself, what value am I? So I want to thank Jake. I want to thank him for sharing this blueprint. And, and I think that Jake would tell you the reason he's willing to share blueprints like this is he knows most people talk about it and very few do it. I want to challenge you to stop talking about processes like this and actually create infrastructure that makes it so you can become legendary. Uh, I believe that our, our job as leaders is to really build an environment where the motivated can win. So I want to thank Jake, and I want to remind you what he said that was so important. Don't confuse activity for achievement. Look for experiences that create legendary moments, because then your reps will create those legendary moments with customers after you first have created legendary moments with your reps as you coach them. So as a sales leader, Jake's mantra, teach, don't preach, show, don't tell, will make you far more impactful than you ever might have thought. I want to challenge you to go out and apply these four things and see if you can take double what the market gives as well. And with that, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, remind you to keep giving us that great feedback and those reviews on the podcast sites. And above all, don't worry. Happy selling. And we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.